Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food. My guest today is Tan Dingjie, who is the founder of Starter Culture SG. And in this conversation, he shares about his love for Asian ferments, how it began, and why it is so important for us to embrace fermentation in our homes. Hi! Hi, hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Long time no see. Yeah. <laughs> How's life uh, down under? Um, just the usual. I mean, you know, we've been affected by COVID. I mean, there are a few new cases, but I, I hear that it's the same in Singapore. Yeah, it's, uh, things were going okay for a while and, and uh, now, it's, now it's crazy again. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm very excited to be able to chat with you, you know, on a deeper level because the last time I don't think we got an opportunity to really hear about what you've been doing or your entire journey. And I think something that people would be interested to know is that both of us, we we had the same degree. I mean, we both graduated <laughs> with a science degree. And, um, you know, I find it very fascinating that you actually got into fermentation. So can you tell me about that process of how you went from being a food scientist to being interested in fermentation? Uh, so it, it all started when, when um, I was doing a stint at, the, at an um, organic synthesis laboratory. Uh, and, you know, so over there we were making uh, you know, products for specialty chemical industries. So essentially, we're making chemicals from smaller building blocks uh, and, and using them to make more complex uh, molecular structures. Uh, it, it was then that, that I wanted to explore, you know, how can I use this 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 uh, knowledge and this idea to say, you know, can we create, uh, can we use you know, small building blocks to create ingredients for food, right? Uh, so we, we know that starch is essentially a polymer made out of smaller building blocks of, of glucose right so i was thinking something along those lines like can, like can we do that right uh of course we can uh it's just that a lot of the processes that, that we do you know may not be food safe right may not be uh, suitable for for consumption uh and that was when i started on another stint in a what is called a biotransformation laboratory so essentially it's biosynthesis we were uh, you know, again, making more complex molecules um, from smaller molecules, from smaller, simpler molecules. But this time we were using uh, microbes. We were using bacteria, we were using yeast, we were using fungi. Uh, and these bacteria, yeast, fungi help, uh, help the reactions along. Uh, so, so the bacteria, the yeast, the fungi, they were making these complex molecules, uh, making these high value ingredients for food, nutrition, consumer care. Uh, and the process by which they, they make these molecules is essentially fermentation. Uh, and and you know, that, that was how I wanted to see how to talk, how to apply that fermentation knowledge into food fermentation. Uh, so in the lab, we will be using pure glucose, pure fatty acid to convert it into pure high value products. Uh, but in food fermentation, you're looking at complex substrates, right? So you have a bit of sugars, a bit of proteins, a bit of fats, uh, and you get a bit of everything as well. Uh, and I think that lends to the complexity of food ferments. So, so you know, you get a lot of complex flavors, uh, and and I think that that is uh, fermentation. And, and that was I was just so impressed by by that in that transformation that I started you know looking looking at fermentation proper. Yeah. 
Mm. And why why did you choose to focus primarily on Asian ferments? Because I know that a lot of people, when you talk about fermentation, they will be interested in things like sourdough, in kombucha, which are all, you know, inspired by the West. So why was your inspiration the East? So I, I, I've done a few workshops and, you know, talking to people, talking to young people about kombucha. Um, and, and they would tell me that, Kombucha seems, you know, very hipster, you know, like, like young people, kind of young person kind of thing. Uh, interestingly enough, some of the people that I talk to, some of their parents actually used to make kombucha. So uh, we think kombucha is a very, you know, uh, North American or very Australian product, but fermenting tea isn't something that's entirely new as well. Generations before us used to make kombucha or used to make some version of fermented tea at home. So uh, yeah, like maybe kombucha does have a, a, a you know Singaporean uh, history after all. It, it was quite strange for me. I, I feel I never actually quite appreciated food until I left Singapore. Uh, and I never really appreciated you know cooking. Never really appreciated uh, uh, you know Singapore cuisine, Asian cuisine until I went to to, to the UK to study. You know over there, it, you you really see what everywhere else has to offer and I, I thought that oh like you know there are a lot of Singaporeans over over in, in, in London but strangely enough you don't see a lot of Singaporean restaurants. You see you see quite a bit of Thai, you see quite a bit of Chinese so of course you see quite a bit of like Indian cuisine. Uh, but you don't see a lot of Singaporean cuisine. So so, so that was something that was still was, was a bit just a bit uh, curious. And, and coming back to Singapore, the other time I got to, you know, rediscover Singaporean cuisine. It's like, oh wow, you know, we have such a rich history. We we you know our cuisine is, is so so interesting, so intricate. Uh, and, and it tells a lot of stories about you know who we are, where we came from. You can actually trace the the, the provenance of, of these these stories, these ingredients. Uh, and and I thought you know if if there was going to be a story to tell, uh, I would want to tell a story of, of you know local Asian ferments. And so you know in this whole process of learning more, um, do you feel that there's sufficient documentation when you wanted to learn about an Asian ferment? For example, I saw that you were making. Uh, glutinous rice wine, right? To me, I feel like the names, the 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 origin, um, unless it's well documented, sometimes it's a bit uh, hard to pin down. When we look at ideas like like language, the, if you trace the etymology of language, you would, you would know that you know uh, language as we know today has evolved, and that is the same with with cuisine. That's the same with recipes. So, you know, your rice wines would have evolved over time, um, depending on which region, you know, you, you, you hail from, uh, your, your starters, your cultures would have evolved over time as well. To draw this platonic ideal of, of rice wine, to me, it's, it's quite, it's quite uh, uh, a bit amusing because, you know, there's no platonic ideal of rice wine, I, I believe. Mm. Uh, so I, I try to look past the, 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 the name mm. uh, and I look at, Right. what are we fermenting what are we fermenting it with and and that that thing that to me gives me uh, uh, a stronger identity of, of what it is if if you're, if you're fermenting rice with you know uh red rice yeast yeah that is to me the definition of red rice wine hmm. regardless of where it comes from regardless of you know uh what you're using yeah, yeah. and how did you learn how to make um these uh ferments like you know, take the glutinous rice wine. Did you learn it from someone or was it purely scientific through scientific journals online? 
I'm fortunate to have be able to to look at resources that people like yourself have have you know published and, and wrote. When two authors go on this journey and do research and compile things together, it makes it easier for people like myself to read and, and refer to. So part of my work involves looking at, at old recipes um, and looking at scientific journals and translating them across. So um, I was I was asked uh, the other day to look at this Malay-Japanese uh, ferment called tapai. Uh, so it's essentially fermented starch, right? Um, but if you look at the traditional recipes that were published uh, back in the uh, 50s, no one talked about the science of it. Right? They, just talk, they just tell you how, how to do it and, and expected to, expect to know where to find the, the starter and everything. Uh, so then my, my job would be to look at the recipe and, and, and sort of understand, okay, if I'm using a starch, how will I ferment it in, in today's you know, modern day era? Build my own recipe based on that understanding of, of the science, of the chemistry of the, of the microbiology. Mm. And can you tell me exactly what starter culture is? Because I'm not quite sure. Is it, um, <laughs> is it a passion project? Is it a business? Um, is it about documentation? Or is it you know, about you hosting workshops to educate people? So it started out as a passion project, and I make it sound as if there's no more passion, but <laughs> it started out as a passion project. Uh, we started uh, three years ago, or um, December 2018, we started doing workshops at Tiong Bahru Hawker Centre. Uh, yeah. So we wanted to organise, you know, free workshops. Uh, and the idea, um, because I, I come from a, a science, uh, science education, science communication background, uh, I felt that it was important for people to understand. I, I still feel that it's important for people to understand science, uh, scientific literacy, to understand food, food literacy, if, if you know, there's such a term. Uh, and I thought the best way to communicate science, to communicate the idea of food, uh, eating local, eating sustainable, wasn't to preach about this. It was to get people to be invested in the food that they eat. I feel that if people make their own food, they would very naturally look at how they're making it. They would very naturally appreciate the amount of effort that goes into to food prep. Uh, and, and, and they would very naturally look for you know, what's, what's nutritious, what is local, what is accessible to me. Uh, so it started with that, you know, just teaching fermentation and uh, teaching the science of fermentation. Uh, and, and yeah, so we were teaching like, workshops uh, along the way. We got a bit of, of eyeballs, people starting to, to engage us, to uh, pay us to, to, to conduct workshops. So it sort of evolved uh, into Starter Culture today. So Starter Culture today is a, uh, is a food biotechnology company. So we want to use fermentation as our toolkit to solve problems that we see in the world today. Uh, so we want to use fermentation to create you know, novel food products. We want to use fermentation to upcycle uh, food waste. We want to use fermentation to uh, create alternative sources of protein and, and nutrition. I think just now you touched on a point which was something that you would like to do or see happen is people realizing the importance of making their own food. And, and I think you say it with such ease. Do you really feel that fermentation is accessible to the individual person in, in Singapore? I think, I think fermentation is challenging because there is this veil of, of mystery, there is this veil of, of slight you know, mysticism, slight you know, pangtangness. When, when we started out uh, doing workshops, it was really to make 
fermentation as accessible as, as we could to simplify it to equip people with with the ideally with, with a scientific framework that they can then go about to make their own ferments. Mm. Uh, uh, we we also create an online community so people you know go on the, the, the forum they post their recipes they post uh, the problems that they have and then and, and the whole community helps with like troubleshoot uh give tips we share recipes so i think you know building the community helps to to increase people's confidence in, in, in this um and we want people to, to look beyond you know just making kombucha uh it, I, I think i think it's a good easy step but you know like what else what else can we make i think i think we are always interested in in, in value adding to this yeah mm. And some like a phrase that keeps coming up throughout your this this interview so far is the science of fermentation. And I think that's very interesting because it's very at odds with what the media portrays fermentation as. I mean, you have books from from Noma, the art of fermentation, or you know, um, lots of resources that that talk about the craft, the craftsmanship behind it. Were there moments where you experienced this um, artistry or this craft, um, even though you take such a scientific approach to it? So when I started out, fermentation used to be this, this um, black box, right? So you put in, you put your inputs in, you put your cabbage in and get a sauerkraut, right? So when I first started out, I didn't know what was happening. Right? So my first ever ferment, I, I still remember this, uh, was a red cabbage sauerkraut. So it was pure red cabbage, um, 3%, 3% salt, and that was it. Um, and I, I didn't know what to expect, right? Uh, I think I opened it a few weeks later. It tasted like Ribena. That, that to me was, was the sort of the art, right? The craft of it. Like you're getting something that you don't expect. Every time we, we make it, they will be, we, we, we expect slight variation. The, the beauty really is at the interface where, where you combine both arts and science and, and I mean, I think they're, they're quite they're quite arbitrary. Like <laughs> where where art ends and where where science begins, the line is, is quite fuzzy. Mm. Uh, but I think it's it sort of bring two different ideas and perspectives together to to uh, find applications. Yeah, I love that. You know, I love the way you explain that the art lies in the mystery because you can give people different recipes for the same ferment but it can turn out very very different based on like what's in the air the bacteria how you handle how you handle it and so on and um you know in the past maybe fermentation was way more mainstream people would make their own acha and things like that yeah. so why do you think it's become a lost tradition in this modern age i think the easy way is to to, to blame sort of fast-paced society that, that, we, that we live in right i think you know when we when we look at uh the world today it's it's uh built on you know convenience if i wanted to you know get food i can go and you know get takeaway uh or better yet you know i can just order it on my phone food comes to my doorstep um you know if i want to go out i can take the i can walk i can take the transport now i can even you know call a, a car over to my to my doorstep right so it's it's very convenient you know everything that your fingertips but I think there's also some people who want to sort of like take back some control, um, uh, and, and they, feel, they feel that you know, you know, this process of 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 making of, of crafting, um, you know, it's very therapeutic. It's, it's you know something something that they can get their hands you know dirty for, and 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 I think that sort of that's also part of the appeal of why people 
are looking at fermentation and, and, and food prep in general. Mm, that's very true. You know, you mentioned taking back some con- control. And I feel that with COVID, it has sensitized us to how just how reliant all of us have become to global food systems and buy products on the supermarket shelf. But is your aim for like say everyone to be at least fermenting one thing in their in their homes? Is that what you're striving towards? I, I, I don't think everyone needs to ferment. I mean, it's great to do, right? But I, I don't think you need to make it to, to appreciate it. Uh, I think, I think we sh- if we can you know, appreciate where our food comes from, I think if we can appreciate people who prep the food, who work on agriculture, mm. if we can appreciate these people a bit more, I think you know, it will go quite a long way to making this a nicer place to, to live in. Yeah, definitely. I think... You know, just before chatting with you, I was chatting with Ken Ko, who is the owner of Nanyang Sauce, who is yeah. the, which is one of the traditional soy sauce breweries in Singapore. And, uh, you know, just talking to him, you can get a sense of how much effort and how much craft there is behind what he does. And I think if people can just catch a glimpse of that, then, you know, like what you said, we can all have a very deep understanding and appreciation for the food that we consume on a daily basis, as elemental as they are. Um, I was reading an article that um, I think it was an interview about about you and your philosophy and something that you pointed out was a double standard in Singapore like how people (laughs) are uh, not esteeming our local or Southeast Asian ferments just like the way that we revere what's in the West can you talk more about that? Uh, When you think of ferments like you said, you you know you think of, of Noma, you think of you know uh, Rene, David Silber, you think of you know David Chang and Momofuku, and they're all doing good work, right? They're all doing good work. Uh, but when you think of fermentation, you think of them, and and uh, and you know I I wanted to sort of like challenge that idea, like like why, like you know what what is about the about them that you know that. That they're doing so great, uh, that perhaps you know other people who are working in similar fields, you know, aren't receiving the same kind of attention. We think of ferment, we think of kimchi. Um, I think you know, uh, the Koreans have, have done a very good, good job in 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 <laughs> uh promulgating propagating the the you know culture and, and and soft power through food through kimchi. Uh, when you think of ferment, you think of you know miso, you think of uh sauerkraut. Uh, but I'm like, hey, you know, we, you know, we have, we have great ferments here as well. You know, we have we have uh, chinchalo. Mm. If you look at the the etymology of the word ketchup, right, it came from Chinese fish sauce. You know, Southeast Asia back up to Europe. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of history, and, and and I think you know it it's very easily overlooked if if we don't you know pay close attention to it. If we don't put um energy and effort in 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 sharing it and preserving it. Mm, that's completely right. When I was working at Kendall Nut, I remember, um, you know, the sous chef, he was experimenting with fermenting our own chintalok. And it was always like, you know, it was always a hit, hit or miss kind of effort or, you know, a lot of trial and error because there's not enough documentation. And, you know, so it's a lot of uh, shooting in the dark, really. So maybe a lack of documentation has also led to, you know, people not wanting to dabble with Southeast Asian ferments, which is a true tragedy because yeah. recently I, I started making a lot of tose at home. 
And Tosa is actually really like sourdough, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's naturally... S- sourdough quick. Um, and, and, you know, it's such a, such a waste, you know, that a lot of Singaporeans, when we think about Tosa, is like immediately in their minds, it's like, oh, you can never make this at home. That kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you have any personal stories or maybe stories from people whom you know who might have preconceptions uh, of Asian ferments or how difficult or how challenging or inaccessible they might be to the average person? Uh, I mean, this is not quite <clears throat> answering your question, but so I was talking to another restaurant uh, yes, last night. They were looking at stream sauce, they were making it, they were looking at uh, how to you know, ferment some of the, the, the stream hits that they, they, they get from prep. Um, and it's, it's encouraging to see you know, a lot of people, more restaurants, F&B operations, uh, looking at ferments. And, and I think it will slowly trickle down you know, as, as people see that see that their favorite restaurants and bars are doing this, you know, they may want to, they may feel inspired to, to go back home and, and, and try making themselves. And, and I think um, working, working in food has been quite lucky um, because people can very readily identify with what we are doing, right? Talk about food, you know, it resonates with people. It, it uh, strikes a chord with, with who they are, their identity, their background. And when they eat it, they taste it, they smell it, you know, they, they get it. Right? They, 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 they know what, immediately what, what, what you're talking about. Uh, so, so that's been some of the things that, that just happened you know, over the past week. I, I think you brought up a very good um, argument for fermentation, which is the reduction of food waste. You know, because I feel that in restaurants particularly, there's a lot of food waste because, you know, we cut off parts um, that are not that not that appealing or you know when you want to cut things into perfect cubes then you have to cut off the sides so you have a lot of food waste and you know in a typical restaurant those bits get chucked out you know because you know there's only so much that you can use for staff meal um so in in my experience i've seen uh in recent years a lot of restaurants are starting to ferment you know whenever you have excess say daikon scraps then you just uh, massage it with some salt and just let it sit and then it can become something and I, I feel that that is truly great can you give our um, listeners some advice on what to do with uh, food scraps through fermentation how can they be transformed Acha is a good way to, to use up food scraps uh, particularly if you have you know a, a variety of all vegetables if you have carrots you know pineapples cucumbers uh, long beans I think uh, uh, an acha or, or an acha stout ferment is, is great. You know, um, I will use anywhere from two percent to three percent salt, uh, and then just just, just let it sit. Uh, so you weigh out your vegetable scraps, right? Make sure that they're clean, uh, and then take two 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 or three percent of of the weight uh, in salt and, and just like massage it in, um, and then leave it in an airtight jar or container and just let it sit at, at room temperature for a week maybe right when it's done take it out add add your spices in uh, add your chili in and then add pineapples in fresh pineapples uh and season it to taste and 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 yeah that, that is essentially uh, a very quick vegetable ferment 
That's interesting. I feel that your method for making acha is so different from mine. But I mean, of course, there are so many variations, right? Yes. Every family does it differently. But I'll share with you how I how I make it at home, how I have been making it at home. So what I do is I'll I'll salt it first, and then I'll let it sit in the salt, and then wring it dry, so that you get all the excess water out, so that it's um crunchy, right? And then if you have time, you can even sun dry it or like dehydrate it. But most of the time, like I can't be bothered because you know it takes too much time, and you have to wait for like the perfect weather and watch over it. And then after that, I'll mix it with oh, I'll blanch it in um vinegar. Or like a mix of vinegar and water, and then after that, I'll mix my rumpa through it and let the whole thing ferment. Do you feel that there is a difference um, between putting in your rumpa before or after the fermentation? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, when you have garlic, when you have alliums, and you have, uh, you know, these uh, ingredients, they have different properties. They, they ferment differently as well. Uh, uh, some of them have antimicrobial properties, so they may inhibit spoilage. I, I I don't really like the idea of, of having one one authentic recipe because we know you know when we talk about you know kimchi the the, the colloquialism is that you know there are as many kimchi recipes as there are mm. mothers in in Korea right yeah uh so I I don't like the idea of having like one authentic kimchi recipe one authentic you know pickle one authentic yeah, sure. recipe yeah so I, I encourage people to go and try you know make the recipe that makes sense to you mm. uh. Just to make your ferment. Just use whatever you have at home, uh, and I think it's that idea that that makes more sense to me. You know, you're talking about about using fermentation to reduce food waste. If you are, you know, spending more money, spending you know more carbon footprint to get to source your ingredients, I think that's all. <laughs> that's a bit counterproductive to the whole idea of sustainability. So you know, use what you have, use what's around you, use what's local, um, and just you know, go ahead, go crazy. Uh, that doesn't have to be perfect the first time around. And then you just, as, as you make it, you slowly refine it. Uh, you slowly ask yourself questions about you know, why you're doing, ask yourself questions about the science of it. Mm. And I think that's how you improve recipe. That's, that's how you get better at, at fermentation. Yeah. I would love to know how has fermentation changed your life? I mean, apart, of course, from a business perspective, but how has your life differed since starting to become so passionate about fermentation? Have you noticed any change in, like, say, um, your gut health, or you know, just any anything that you picked up on. So I, I was asked this question at an interview the other day. Um, the interview asked me, "What is the most exotic exotic food I've ever tried?" So that, that, that's an interesting question, right? I think most people won't hesitate to, to answer something crazy like you know, tempoya, balut. Mm. Uh, uh, fermented herring, for example, fermented shark. And I think in the past I would have answered, you know, any one of these. Uh, but today, uh, when I was asked a question, I, I I thought to myself like, when we, when we say something as X, when we say that something is exotic, when we label it as exotic, right? What are we, uh, really doing? If someone, uh, you know, whose culture involves, you know, fermented shark, fermented herring, fermented durian, uh, was sitting next to you, you know, how would they feel about? about being labeled as exotic, right? Because what is exotic to you could be to them um, what they eat at home. Mm. Uh, and, you know, as I was thinking about that, you know, it sort of reminded me about uh, my time in the UK, right? What, what, what we eat in Singapore, when we eat like balachan, uh, when we cook laksa, you know, these are things that, that people over in the UK don't typically experience. So, so they were labeled as exotic. 
and and you know how how would that make us feel to be to be labeled as exotic or to be labeled as foreign? I think I think I think we can be honest and say that oh you know this this is this is foreign to me, this is new to me, this is a new experience. Um, I, I'm game to try or you know I, I'm not comfortable to try. And I think that's 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 fair, right? I think that's fair. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's what you know what food and fermentation has sort of like taught me along the way. Mm, that sensitivity. So can you tell me what exactly have you got fermenting at home right now? I've got uh, fish, fish and fish sauce, corn sauce from uh, I think two, three years ago. Mm. I've got some kombucha, of course, uh, fermented kailan that's, that's going on. I've, I still have some uh, uh, cured uh, botaga. Mm. Cured fish roll, yeah. That's uh, that, that's that's pretty good. Uh, on pastas. Thank you, DJ, for sharing so openly about your journey and about the different ferments, and also giving us a lot of tips and advice about how we can all approach fermentation. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on this show was Tan Tingjie and if you are intrigued by his sharing today and would like to try your hand at fermentation, you can download the tempeh recipe card from him through the Singapore Heritage Fest website. Also, just a quick announcement, Singapore Noodles has launched a quarterly food publication called Seasonings and our very first issue is on Hari Raya Puasa. So on 12th of June, which is next Saturday at 11am Singapore time, we are inviting our contributors for the issue to join us at a Zoom roundtable where we discuss issues like vegetarian festive food and how non-religious Muslims navigate this festival. So the link is tinyurl.com seasoningspanel. Thank you all for your support and I'll catch you next week.